Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. Let's get ready for the message today if you want to get your notes out. We are in a collection of talks called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Just like I have this table up here and I have a seat right here, we have tables in our life. The table of influence and the table of identity and the table of calling and who we are. And one of the worst things we can do is allow the enemy to take up a seat and to begin to whisper things into our ear or tell us things that aren't true to constantly play lies over the soundtrack of our life. And we do have an enemy, and it's Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. He is a real person, and he attacks us and wants to destroy us. He hates God, and he hates everything that bears the image of God, and that's you. And he wants nothing more than to destroy your life. And so over this collection of talks, we've talked about how we go on the offensive, right, and tell the enemy, hey, you have no power over me because of what Jesus has done. And I'm not going to give you a seat at my table. One of the things I gave you the first week was to let the enemy know when he comes in with those lies, when he comes in with those attacks, when he tries to remind you of your past, you tell him, hey, enemy, seat's taken. And the seat's taken by Jesus in my life and the voice that he has for me and the hope that he has for me. And really, we have to do that not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday as well. And I think today is one of those lean-in topics where it might be a little bit uh, a hard conversation to have, but I know that as I've been preparing this message over the last couple weeks, I've been journaling a lot, and God's been really challenging me. And so I want to bring it to you today. I want to bring you this honest conversation because I think it's important. So get your notes out. Here's the title of today's message. Don't let this, underlined, rob you. Now, what is the this? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you in just a moment. But let's read some passages from our scripture we've been referencing this whole month. Psalm 23, just from the video that we just watched. Here's what it says, starting in verse 5. It says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings, and surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Local City, that's our invitation today, to take up seat at this table, to step into the house that we've been invited into. It's God's house. What does it say in the very beginning? You prepare a feast for me. I love that, because I love food, as I've talked about before. And if someone else is buying, someone else is preparing, I'm there, all right? I found out really early in my life, I'm just not patient to be a cook because I'm like a microwave guy. I'm like, whatever I can heat up, let's go. But God has taken the time. God has taken the intention to let you know that, hey, I've prepared a feast for you with everything that you need, even in the presence of your enemies. And it says, you anoint my head with oil. What does that mean? Well, back in Bible times, you would anoint a guest's heads with, with oil to tell them that they were an honored guest, to tell them they were welcomed here. I talked about it before that when it says our cup overflows with blessings, normally in biblical culture, you would fill the cup up with how much, how long you wanted people to hang, right? So if you wanted to be like a short meet and greet, you just give them a little, a little dab, right? A little pour. All right, quick sips. Tell me how it's going and then you're out of here. But God says your cup overflows with blessings, meaning you can stay as long as you want. 
I mean, you can hang with me as long as you want. I want to tell you all about who I am. I want to invite you to the life that I've created for you. And not only is it truth, but it's blessing as well. It's grace and truth and love and encouragement, all those things that we so desperately need. And then I love how it says at the end, surely, the guy that wrote this psalm was by the guy by the name of David, King at the time, and he says, surely God's goodness and love will chase after me and pursue me all my life. I don't know about you, but it's easy to forget because sometimes we think things like dysfunction and chaos and stress and anxiety. Those are the things chasing me. Problems, difficulties, fear, just like we sang today. But man, when we take that seat at God's table, surely goodness, mercy, and love will follow me all the days of my life. And here's where I got this concept of today's message. I've seen this a lot in our life, or maybe maybe you've seen it as well. This idea that people begin to think that they have one up on the people around them, right? It's this sense that I deserve this, or I'm entitled this, right? Maybe you've seen this manifest in actual humanity and existence. Everybody, anybody ever seen this kind of experience in a parking lot before? Where you got the single car, but they're taking up two spots? Can I be honest, it's a place where we can be vulnerable? here at church. This drives me crazy. Uh, I mean, now I get it. If they got like a really expensive car, okay, I get it. You know, there's a lot of bad drivers out there. But I drive a 2008 Kia Rondo, and you're probably like, what is that? I know, you don't see it on the road because it's not a popular car to have. Excuse me. But the thing is, if I were to park like that, people would be like, what is he doing? I mean, like, why does he not? It's already dented and all dirty. Why does he think he's got to take up two spaces, right? It's that I deserve to do this because I paid for this. This is my thing. I don't want anyone coming close to it, right? I try to be the guy that when I have an Uber driver, when I hop in an Uber, I try to be the one that, like, makes conversation because I can't stand silence. It's, like, awkward for me. And so I always try to spur up conversation, and I ask the drivers, hey, what's really, like, fun about doing this? And they talk about the people they get to meet and the crazy stories, you know, when they pick up people late at night and stuff like that. But then I ask him, what's like the hardest thing about it? And the drivers usually say something to the point of, man, people out in traffic now are like so entitled. They just are, drive so fast and they're always honking and they always are cutting into the lane and thinking they deserve to be here. It just gets crazy. They for, they've forgotten about safety and leaned into, well, I need to get somewhere, so get out of my way. Anybody ever experienced that on the road before? Anyone ever been? No, no, just don't. No, not been the person who's doing that, right? And the last thing is, is this idea of that we deserve this, so this idea of entitlement can really begin to mess us up. And I've seen it manifest even in existence at the gym, right? I've never seen so many people who love getting their phones out and recording themselves working out at the gym. Now, if you look like me, I don't know why you're doing that. But if you're a bodybuilder, I get it, it's cool. But if you look like me, what's going on? And it's to the inconvenience sometimes of people around them. Well, here's the word that I wanna lean into today, and this is the first blank. It's that the this that can rob you is this word entitlement. And here's what entitlement means. It's the belief that we deserve to have things given to us and that we should have special privileges. If I were to refer back to Psalm 23, it would say that, God, you have prepared this feast. I've done nothing to deserve it. And I believe one of the biggest things the enemy can use is even when you're seated at the table with Jesus and you haven't given him a seat at your table, he can begin to convince you that you deserve this, that you've earned this, that this is your right when that's not it at all. This is the only reason I have a seat to sit at the table with Jesus is because of his generosity, because of his sacrifice, because of his love for you and for me. Because here's the thing, a sense of entitlement will keep us from fully knowing Jesus. 
What do we here at Local City to do? Help you know Jesus. And not just know who he is, not just know about him, but know him deeply and intimately so that he can begin to change your life and transform you from the inside out. That's what this is all about. And my, my heart for you is to realize that you can walk in the grace and blessing of God every day, but there are some choices that we have to make. I'll share a verse with you from the book of James. It says this, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't wanna be in any situation in my life where God is opposing me, because that is not a fight I'm going to win. If God is the opposition against my life, it's not going to go well. And how does that happen? It's when I begin to live this life proud, when I begin to live with this life entitled, when I begin to live this life saying, this is all about me, and I forget it's all about Jesus. James, who wrote this verse, he was Jesus' brother and didn't believe Jesus was the son of God his whole life. I mean, you can imagine that, right? Like, well, James, your brother, he fed 5,000 people yesterday. What did you do? Um, uh, you know, like you can imagine being in that place, right? But James didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was until Jesus died and walked out of that grave alive. That's pretty good proof, right? Like if someone does that, maybe they're who they say they are. So James lived this verse his whole life. I was proud. I didn't want my brother to be accepted as the son of God. I, I was lying to myself. But when it came, when push came to shove, I couldn't deny it anymore. And that was, begin, that was when I began to step in this life with grace and humility. And God began to bless me. And James became a leader in the early church and written, wrote a book of the Bible that we're still reading today. And so that's, what we're, that's where we're going in this morning's conversation. So can I pray for you today as we step in? God, we thank you so much that you speak to us truthfully. And God, today we pray that we would speak to ourselves truthfully, myself included. God, help us open up, listen, and lean in. God, help us truly empty ourselves of anything that's not you today. God, whether it's our first time or hundredth time, we pray today that you would speak to us, show us who you are and who we are. God, I'm so thankful for all of our local city kids and our kids team next door. Pray that you would bless them. Again, as their shirts say that we're given out, that they would love Jesus, they would make friends, they would have fun today. So thankful for our church as we pour into the next generation. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we all say, give me a good amen, church, if you're ready for the message today. Maybe you can keep those shouts and applause going. Would you welcome everybody watching for Local City Church Online? So glad you're with us, everybody. We're ready for you. It's going to be a great day. Make sure to comment in the comment section where you're watching from and all that good stuff. As I was thinking about this message and the conversation today, I was thinking about maybe doing some research online. I started listening to a podcast from a CEO of a big organization, and they were talking about, it was great, they were talking about some of the worst interviews they've ever had with someone wanting a job at a company. Everybody, anyone ever had an interview before and you felt like that went terrible, right? Like you have one of those, I've, you know, that's why I started a church. I never wanted to do an interview. So I just did this and uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm a little bit, a little bit maybe, but more of it, you know, God called us to do this. But the thing is, he was talking about all the bad interviews that he's experienced and he talked about one that he remembers forever. He was interviewing this guy, had a great resume, fully qualified for the job, but it got to the end of it, and he looked across the table and said, hey, man, I just don't think this is going to work. And the guy interviewing was like, why not? You saw my resume. I'm qualified. I deserve this. I feel like uh, this, we're a good fit. And he said, yeah, man, I know. Your resume looks good. Everything on paper is great. But every few minutes in this interview, this in-person interview, you were texting on your phone and responding to texts. Your resume looks good, but you weren't focused in during the time. 
And they got in this argument about how well, I deserve it because of my credentials. I deserve it because of my qualifications. Yeah, that may be true. But our impression in person did not go well because it seemed like you wanted to be anywhere else but here. Your attention was not fully focused on the person asking you the questions. You think that would be enough to be a pretty bad interview. But the CEO said that a couple hours later, he got a direct call from somebody. And he said, hey, I heard you interviewed my son today. Why did you not hire him? He's a special, special kid. Well, he was texting the whole time, and now he's having his mom <laughs> call me. Like, think about that. You're the boss of mom. You're the 30-year-old person interviewing for a job, and your first reaction is to call mom and have her call the boss and say, my son deserves this job. What? Like, how much can entitlement take over your life? How much can that deserving mentality begin to mess you up and begin to really think that you're all this when really everyone else is like, hey, man, that's weird. Chill, okay? You're not going to get the job, and I'm definitely not going to give it to you now because I not only do I have to deal with you, I have to deal with your mom every day as well, calling while you got a, you know, a check on your record or something. You know, it's just weird. And sometimes we approach life this way where we sit down and we think we have all these deserving traits about us and characteristics and qualifications, and we're missing the very, we're, we're turning our attention away from the very person who can give us everything that we need. And the thing is that when we sit at God's table, we have to realize that we're at God's table. That when, that when we're sitting at the table that God's prepared for us, it's not about us anymore. And we can't let this rob us. Here's what I want you to write down. This is the next couple of blanks in your notes, is that God doesn't owe me anything, but yet he has given me everything. If I can give you some freedom today, it's to understand that God doesn't owe me anything, but he's given me everything. I'm learning this more and more as a parent, right? Like my, my son, Shepard, he's going to turn five next year. He is awesome. He's the best big brother now. But we're teaching about this whole idea of like deserving and like owing. And like, we've given you everything, buddy. We don't have to do this one other thing. You have a roof over your head. You got a bed to sleep in. You got food in the fridge. We've given you everything. And so when you get so focused on that one thing that you think you deserve, it can totally mess up your life. It can totally mess up your mentality. And somehow we take that mentality even to adulthood. And it begins to mess us up as adults in our jobs, in our relationships, in our journey of faith with Jesus. But the truth is, and one of the best things we can wake up and say, one of the best things we can wake up and pray every morning is, God, you don't owe me anything. You never owed me any ounce of anything at all because I could never deserve it. But because of who you are as my heavenly father, because of your love, because I am your son, I am your daughter, you've given me everything through your son Jesus. You've, you've sent your son to show me who I am and to forgive me of my sins. You've invited me to sit at your table. You've prepared a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows with blessings. My head is anointed with oil, and you didn't owe me any of that. But God, you still did it over and over and over again. I mean, there's so much freedom in that. And I think sometimes we need that wake-up call. of how Have we been living entitled? Have we been living in this place where our, we are at the center of our attention rather than Jesus? Because I promise you, when I'm at the center of my attention, life is about me. And sometimes that's easy, but a lot of times it's very difficult. Because I can't carry the weight of my life. I can't carry the weight of all my relationships. I was never created to do that. I need God. We need God. We need each other because we can't do this life alone. And when we begin to say things like I deserve or I'm entitled or this is my right, we miss out on walking in that humble life that God's given us. And I'm always thankful that there's stories in Scripture that help us learn this. 
There's one from 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'll give you the context. It says this. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. And, oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Now, let me give you some context. This is, this is a chapter describing the life of a guy named Elisha, who was a prophet, who was a man of God, who led Israel when it came to the spiritual things and what God was saying. There was a lot of attention and validity and authority given to the prophet at this time. And the people of Israel had a lot of enemies. Again, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. You're always going to have an enemy when you're following God. New enemies are always going to rise up. Israel would defeat one enemy and another one would rise up because that's just what happens, right? Sometimes life is difficult. And so what happens is there's a king of, of the land known as Aram who wants to destroy all of God's people. And he's getting frustrated because he feels like this guy Elisha is eavesdropping on all of his conversations with his generals and armies and leaders. Because they're always one step ahead of them. There's a message right there. When you're listening to the voice of God, you will always be one step of, ahead of the enemy. And he will be more frustrated than you are. And you will walk in freedom, and you will walk in the strength that God has for you, and he will be arguing with himself how this is possible. How is this happening? But what happens is, the king says, well, let's take out the man of God. Let's take out him and his servants, and those helping him, because obviously they've got something that is hurting us and distracting us and, and dividing us from being able to destroy our enemies. And so they, they say, where is this Elisha guy hanging out? And they surround him. And it says that they, Elisha and his servant wake up like this, Troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? You ever been in that, in that situation in your life where you felt surrounded? You felt like you just woke up one day and you're like, okay, this relationship's out of control. I hate my job. The finances are a wreck. I feel far from God. How did all this surround me? Well, it's, again, because the enemy's always trying to attack you. But it's in this moment that's really key that I want you to lean in to, again, to not let entitlement rob you. Because look what Elijah says. Don't be afraid. Just like we sing today. The enemy thrives in fear. The enemy thrives when we feel afraid, when we feel like we can't stand in this life anymore. And Elijah says his, to his young servant, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. That sounds good. If God is for us, who can be against us? Woohoo! that's awesome. Love that verse. But what, is, what happens in the next part is so key and so important. It says, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. There's two things I want you to lean into to this story. Number one is that the first reaction of this young servant was to see how all the surrounding was going to affect him. What are we going to do? We're surrounded. We're going to get killed, Elisha. But even in the midst of what he couldn't see was that God was already surrounding their enemies. God was already present in the fight. And what I love about this is, uh, if I was the young servant, to give you some biblical history, Elisha was mentored and taught by a guy named Elijah. And Elijah has some of the most powerful miracles in Scripture happen in his life. I mean, there's one big one where Elijah is standing by himself on the mountain before a huge host of God's enemies, the prophets of Baal. Baal was a false god back then that a lot of people served and did sacrifices to. It was really bad. But Elijah had this moment where he destroyed prophets of Baal with fire from heaven to show how powerful God is. So if I'm that young servant, I'm thinking about that story. I'm like, oh, we're surrounded? There's a lot of armies everywhere? This is our Elijah moment, Elisha. This is our time to be the ones that call down fire from heaven and defeat God's army or defeat God's enemies with God's armies. We're gonna be talked about forever. Woohoo! That's not what happens. 
What does Elisha pray? God, I pray that you would open his eyes to see. Number one, it's not about us. And number two, you're already taking care of the situation. It's not what we deserve. It's not what we're entitled to because of what's happened in the past. It's the fact that you're gonna take care of it, God. And actually what ends up happening is the enemy gets so confused with everything going on, they initially just leave themselves. And I love that this verse is written, we know Elijah's name, but we don't know the young man's name. We don't know the young servant's name because we don't have to. Because it's not about that. It's about the principle in this story, in this passage of, hey, even when things are surrounded, even when things are difficult, it's not about us. It's about the God that is fighting our battles. And it's about the testimony that this victory will leave for other people. And so for us, we got to realize we got to take ourselves out of the center of the story. Think about it this way. Um, imagine if you were an extra in a movie. Like we see movies all the time. We see all the extras, right? Imagine if you were an extra in a movie and the movie is premiering and you rent. I mean, I, I still love going to theater. I know COVID almost killed that, but I still love going to the theater on opening night. It's fun. Now imagine it's opening night of this movie that you're an extra in. And you tell all your friends and families, hey, I'm in this movie. And you rent out the whole theater. You run out the entire theater for your friends, for your family. Everybody gets there, and you guys, they watch the movie, and you've been telling them all week, all leading up to it, I'm in this movie. I can't wait for you guys to see it. And then they watch the whole movie, and they get to the end, and they're like, hey, uh, you weren't in that movie. And you're like, yeah, I was. And they're like, I didn't see you anywhere. It was about this, like some hero movie. or a, you were, I didn't see, No, no, no. Remember that shot where they showed the big crowd of people in the city? I was like that little dot with the white hat on that you could barely see. But I was in the movie. I was in. No, you weren't, man. You were an extra. No one was paying you any attention. Why did you do all this big show and spend all this money when you're just a little bitty white hat in a big crowd? The movie's not about you. Can I tell you, local city, our life is not about our life. And we're renting out theaters and we're posting on social media. I'm in the movie. And they're like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You're not... I want to put all the focus on Jesus. I want to run out of theater. I want my voice. I want my job places, my neighborhoods, my social media to be, an to be an example of Jesus is the hero in this story. Jesus is the one who has changed my life. I'm going to run out of this place so you can't see me, so you can see Jesus. We're going to create a portable church every Sunday so you can see Jesus, who is the hope that has a name, so you can realize it's Jesus who deserves all the praise and all the glory because he is the one who has conquered sin and death. And here's how entitlement begins to exist in our life through two main attitudes. Number one is I'm exempt from responsibility. And number two is I am owed special treatment. Ever thought that before? There's two different types of entitlement. There is what's called worldly entitlement, which means people just walk through their life feeling they're entitled in everything. Like, you shouldn't talk to me that way because I'm entitled. You shouldn't treat me that way because I deserve this. And not, I would say maybe that's some people, but not a lot of people deal with it in an overarching scheme like that. But some of us may deal with what some counselors call pocket entitlement, which you're usually pretty good, but there's some areas of your life where, no, I deserve this, or I'm exempt from responsibility here. And we begin to create pockets in our life where, again, if we want to walk in that humility and grace that God offers, he's got to be Lord of all, not Lord of some. And we can't hide some of it away in our pocket. And so the idea is that I'm exempt from responsibility. Here's how that one, here's an example I want to give you of this one. Um, I was a youth pastor for a long time. A lot of you guys know that. And uh, when we would have like arrival times, whether it be an early arrival time for a missions trip because we're flying to the Dominican Republic or doing things like that, we would have a call time. You had to be at the church at this time. 
whether it was when I would have student leaders and we were going out to do a serve project or going to a conference, hey, you need to be at church at this time. And as with high school students and maybe as with just people in general, there were always a handful of people who were late. Like, you gotta be here at eight, they're showing up at 8.05. Gotta be here at eight, they're showing up at 8.15. And here's what happened every time. And if this, you know, convicts you, that's okay. It's the Lord speaking to you, all right? And so they would be telling me all the reasons why they were late. Like, they would stand in front of me and say, Pastor Ryan, I'm so sorry I'm late. I hit, a, I hit red light after red light. Or there was an accident on the road. I didn't expect that to happen. And they would tell me, oh, all the re- oh, I had to, you know, help my little brother get ready for school. All these reasons. And in their hand is a physical symbol of entitlement, letting me know that they cared about more their urges than actually trusting and being responsible for their life. In their hand is their Starbucks cup that they obviously got on the way there, that they obviously waited in the drive-thru for and said, you know what, I am late, I'm going to be late, but my coffee fix is more important than me being responsible for being where I said I was going to be at the time I was going to be there. I know no one in this room or watching online is guilty of that at all, but it's a good example. And it's a true example of we would stand before God and say, hey, this, that, and this. And God's like, I know, but you were still responsible for some of those decisions that you made. You, will still, you were still responsible for submitting and trusting and walking humbly rather than walking in pride. Because the thing is, we're not owed special treatment because we've already been given it. <laughs> and we've already been forgiven and we did nothing to deserve that. When we belong to Jesus and surrender our life to him, everything that we have is grace. Everything that we have is a blessing. Everything that we have could not be earned, but God gave it anyway. So especially as, a, as followers of Jesus, we understand that we're not owed special treatment. How do I know that? Because here's the words of Jesus. I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life for many. Now, I'm not saying we have to walk through life, oh, woe is me. We have to walk through life as a doormat, but we do have to walk through life with humility. We do have to walk through life understanding that God is fighting our battles and that God is on our side. And he may show up and bring fire from heaven and destroy the enemy in our life, but he may just say, hey, just trust me. They're sur- you may feel surrounded by the enemy, but the enemy is surrounded by me. And that's all you need to know right now. Because here's what entitlement can do. Entitlement sets us up for disappointment in life. I hate being disappointed. I've heard before that the amount of pain we feel in life is the distance from our expectation to reality. And inside that gap is disappointment and pain. Now, if I understand, you know, life's not about me, it's about Jesus, that life's about how I can reflect him to others and how I can love God and love people. Because entitlement, when life is about you, guess what? Life will let you down. People will let you down. You won't get all the things that you think you should get. But when you walk through with humility and understand that God is God and I am not, you begin to be far less disappointed. Because the, God, the enemy would love to disappoint you so much that you forget that you've been appointed by God to make a difference on this earth. He would want you waking up just feeling disappointed about the life you see rather than feeling appointed by God of knowing that my life is a gift and everything that I have is a blessing from the Lord, so I'm gonna steward that well and take ownership of it and take responsibility for it. Because entitlement will do this. It will ruin our relationships and wreck our potential to succeed. No one who goes through marital counseling sits and says, you know what? You need to feel more entitled. That's gonna be better for you guys if you both feel more entitled. If you both feel like you deserve more, that's quick, that's quick access to separation and hating each other, all right? What is every, I'm, I'm Adrian, I have gone through 
marital counseling, you know, it's a protection for us. We, we have a lot of stuff on our plate with kids and the church. And they always say, hey, just outserve one another. Outserve one another. Don't keep a scoreboard. Just serve the other's needs. Care for the other one. Know the other's love language. Never, ever has someone said, well, you need to look out for yourself more. Yeah? Yeah, you need to, be, you need to do that angry cleaning when they haven't cleaned, right? You need to slam the dishes down when you put them in the dishwasher. You need to loudly vacuum near them when they're watching TV so they know that, yes, uh, I'm entitled to not have to do this. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. It doesn't work that way. And the thing is, is that that can also wreck our potential to succeed. I mean, you have a life, a blessed life that God wants for you. And entitlement, nothing will wreck that quicker than entitlement. Than saying, I deserve this, I'm owed this. Because then again, what you see in the center of your life is you and not Jesus. So the greatest thing we can do is honestly just have the same attitude as Jesus. As we begin to close, let me give you this closing verse. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says this. You must have, I would underline that, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. If Jesus walked through with entitlement, he never would have left heaven because he was entitled as the Son of God, Prince of Peace and Lord of Lords. If Jesus walked through this life with, I'm owed special treatment, he never would have given his life on the cross and died a criminal's death. But this tells us that Jesus humbled himself, emptied himself of all his rights, all his privileges, all his entitlement, so that he could serve and care for those around us, so that he could show us what the love of God looks like in human form, so that he could be the Savior that we needed, so he could be our closest friend. He could be our victor who has victory over sin and death. When my focus is on Jesus and my trust is in him, I'm far less disappointed. I'm far less wrecked and ruined because I understand Jesus is going to take care of it. He is fighting my battles. When I'm entitled at sitting at this table and all I'm doing is looking down at what I, my portion I'm not thankful for or what that other table over there has for me, I'm not looking across the table and realizing who is sitting with me. I'm not looking in the eyes of one who, the one who loves me and is there for me. So what I want to do today is just give you four quick habits as we close, and the band can come up because we'll close here. Four quick habits that help you fight entitlement in your life. The first one is this, change I deserve to I am responsible. If you want to find healthier relationships, if you want to be in a healthier place spiritually, emotionally, change I deserve to I am responsible. Rather than wake up, I deserve this, or I deserve that, or why, did it, why were they looked at and over me? Well, I deserve to feel this way, or I deserve that thing. No, I'm responsible for my life. I'm going to take ownership over my life. In our circle, our married circle, we, we've been talking about this, the hula hoop of our life, right? And all the my things that are inside that hula hoop. My thoughts, my feelings, my responses, and understanding that I'm responsible for those things. And if life isn't going the way I thought, well, guess what? I'm responsible for my attitude and my actions and my responses during that life. I can't blame anyone else because there's a lot of other people who are probably not experiencing the life they thought they would have, but they're still walking through life with joy. They're still walking through life trusting God. They're still walking through life knowing that he is more than capable to fight any battle and be victory in the, and, and have victory in those battles. Change I deserve to I'm responsible. Number two, do hard things first. A lot of times we save the hard things for the end and then we never do them. Well, I think about, you know, in two weeks we're going to step into our generosity 
series here at Local City. And what we do during that time is talk about how generosity is a privilege. And there's this principle of generosity in scripture called the tithe, which is not some like bad word we shouldn't talk about in church. And the tithe is understanding financially, I give God the first so that the rest will be blessed. I give God the first, not what's left. I've thought about it, you know, I was getting some coaching from, um, um, from someone who helps me like when I go work out and they said, hey, you should do the hard stuff first. That's when you can lift the heaviest. That's when you can go for the biggest weight. That's when you'll get the most results. Don't save it for the end because then you're already spent. You're already tired. You've already poured out yourself a little bit. The beginning, do the hard things first. That's why I always tell you, Monday is not your first day of the week. Today is. This is the start of your week, just so you know, so that you can attack your week, so you can be encouraged, so you can choose joy, so you can know that God doesn't owe you anything, but he's given you everything. This is the hard thing to wake up and get ready to go. I say it all the time. Church on Sunday is a Saturday decision. So, you know, I'm going to do the hard things first. I'm going to start my week off right. Third thing is keep inconvenient commitments. Anyone can keep a commitment that's easy. Anyone can keep a commitment that they want to keep, but it's the inconvenient ones that will change your life. It's the inconvenient ones of being in the house on Sunday, of serving, of, of trusting God as you're committed to him, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when you may lose a friendship or you may have to say no to an opportunity. Keep those inconvenient commitments because when we trust God, he is the one that blesses us and brings grace. He gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. And the last one, engage in serving. One of the best ways to realize that we don't deserve anything is to serve someone else. And I'll close with this. And man, we'll just close here. To give you some of my testimony is, you know, when I was in, when I was in sixth grade and I was walking through middle school, I was the most insecure kid you've ever met. I was constantly fighting for acceptance. I was afraid of my own shadow. I would do anything and everything to be accepted by my peers. And man, I was the class clown and funny kid, but every night at home, I was crying myself to sleep because I felt so alone, I felt so isolated. And I had, a, I had great parents, I had a great family, I had a great house. You know why? It's because the enemy wanted to destroy me. Because he knew what my life could be. And one of the things I've realized is if it wasn't for Jesus, I would still be that insecure, angry, afraid of his own shadow little kid. I would just be an adult. But if it wasn't for Jesus stepping into my life through an invitation of one of my friends to tell me he was saving me a seat at church, or I couldn't experience something religious, but I could experience the relationship with Jesus that had been offered to me, and to realize I don't deserve anything, but Jesus has given me, he has given me everything anyway. I gave him my life and everything changed. And here's what I think about today, honestly, and I think this is something, an important thing for us to think about because we have to know what our life was like before Jesus. And maybe that decision for you today is to finally surrender and trust Jesus with your life. But I've told my wife this before, and I'll tell you this because I think it's, there's power, power in vulnerability, is that I've told Adrian before that I question if I would even be here today if it wasn't for Jesus. Because I knew the level of insecurity and self-hate that I had towards myself. And I questioned, man, what I've just ended it all because I felt I was so alone because I felt I was so insecure and I was so angry. But that's not how my story ended. And that's not the story I live now. It's the story that would have been made possible if I thought life was all about me. It's a story that the enemy wanted to write over my life. But Jesus said, nope, that's not who you are, Ryan. You are a son of God who I've bought with a price, who I've given my life for. Whether you're here in this place or watching online, I want you to know this is a hard message because life is hard. But it can be easier when we cast all our cares on Jesus and realize he is the one that looks at us when we're insecure and angry and he says, you are valued, you are cared for, you are accepted and I love you and I'm alive today and I want to tell you that, that you are redeemed, restored and forgiven and set free. You matter to me, you matter to God. There is value in your life. 
God doesn't owe you anything, but he's given you everything anyway. And the enemy would love to rob you of that gratitude. He would want to rob you of that humility. And I want to tell you today, local city, man, we don't deserve anything, but we have it at our fingertips. The seat is pulled open for us to take our seat. And I pray that helps you today. And I pray some of my transparency would help you be transparent with your own life so that you could meet Jesus, so that you could know the hope that has a name. Would you stand to your feet as we close today? And if that helped you today, if that encouraged you today, come on, let's give God some praise in this place. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.